0: shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good morning. Uh, My name is Marshall, and this is my daughter Genevieve, and we're going to be reading a passage this morning. But before I do, I just want to say I'm looking around, seeing all these kids out here, and Um, You know, I have the privilege of of working with many of your children in children's ministry. And I just want to do a plug here to say, I encourage you to think about maybe volunteering in children's ministry. It's such a blessing, such a joy to work with each of your kids. And I encourage you to consider that if that's something uh, that the Lord may place on your heart. Um, So we're going to be reading this morning from uh, Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Now that same day, two of them He said to them,
1: How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory?
0: And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen, he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you so much. But good morning, Austin Oaks Church. Trust you are doing well, and I apologize that I'm not as cute as they are. And yes, yes, this is an ugly sweater. Okay? It is. And I also made a very clear point to not let my wife know what I was wearing this Sunday. Otherwise, I wouldn't have made it out of the house. So nonetheless, there is intentionality behind the sweater, and all that kind of stuff, primarily because one of my favorite things to do in Christmas is to um, look at and wear ugly Christmas sweaters. They're amazing, right? Come on, like, so, like, this, 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 is, this is, like, actually still kind of, like, top shelf type of style right here. So um, we're in this sermon series called Christmas Cheer, and I want to share with you the heartbeat behind this sermon series and invite you into some things, okay? When we look at the last couple years, it feels like we really need some joy, right? Like it's just like life has been hard and things have been difficult, but really like Christians, and especially around the season of Christmas, we should be ambassadors of joy, right? And so like one of the other things that I love to do in Christmas is not just wear ugly sweaters, but to also watch like your favorite Christmas movies and um, favorite Christmas movie that is church friendly is um, Elf. Anybody? Come on. The Zisky family has already watched it once. Guaranteed there will be a few more times as we go through. So this whole sermon series is actually designed around Elf, right? It's around a certain quote, and I want you to enjoy this quote, this clip, right now.
0: Why are you messing with me? Did Krumpa put you up to this? I'm not messing with you. It's just nice to meet another human who shares my affinity for elf culture.
1: I'm just trying to get through the holidays.
0: Get through? Christmas is the greatest day in the whole wide world. Please stop talking to me. Uh Uh-oh, sounds like someone needs to sing a Christmas carol. No way. Best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Thanks, but I don't sing. Oh, it's easy, it's just like talking, except louder and longer and you move your voice up and down. I can sing, but I just choose not to sing. Especially in front of other people. Well, if you sing alone, you can sing in front of other people. There's no difference. Actually, there's a big difference. No, th- no, there isn't. Wait. I'm singing. I'm in a store and I'm singing. I'm in a store and I'm singing. Hey! There's no singing in the North Pole. Yes, there is. No, it's not. We sing all the time. No, it's not especially
1: when we make toys. See? Come on. So we're going to try to have some fun as a church in the month of December. And so we're going to do things every Sunday that's going to be fun, but also we're going to do things that have some meaning as we spread cheer and joy in the city of Austin. So um, part of this is a promo. So next Sunday... Okay, next Sunday, you are invited to wear an ugly Christmas sweater. It's ugly Christmas sweater Sunday at Austin Oaks Church. Come on. Come on. But, but there's also going to be a thing that we're going to attach to it as Pastor BJ has packaged ugly sweaters, warm hearts. So what we want you to do next Sunday, and you're going to hear about this later on in the service, is wear an ugly Christmas sweater, but bring a blanket because we're going to be donating those blankets to the homeless as they deal with the cold and all kind of stuff. And so, but for us, we want to have some fun, but we also want to be mindful of spreading Christmas cheer in our city. But also, I want you to think about that clip, that line a little bit, right? There's so many people when we enter into this season that we can easily misunderstand or lose the sight and the meaning of Christmas, right, especially for us who believe in Jesus, who have experienced the gospel, right, the best way to spread Christmas cheer, this is our joy and our opportunity as a church, to be people who spread Christmas cheer. We're going to be looking at that message this whole month. And on Christmas Eve, it's going to be the pinnacle. We're going to look at the shepherds who got the message from the angels. And the angels came like, hey, I bring you, we bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And you immediately see them receiving it and going off to help to tell people about it. That's our joy and our opportunity in this Christmas season. And so what I want to talk about this morning it's talking about a little bit about that joy, talking about that cheer. But I also want us to be honest with our hearts and be honest with where we're at in our relationship with Jesus. Because just like Christmas season, some people look at the season and they're actually a little bit nervous about it. Because it may be stirring up bad memories or things that cause pain or areas where they placed hope in and it just didn't happen. Expectations that were met or fulfilled. And they miss Christmas, Like, we need to be people who understand the heartbeat of Christmas and to remember who Jesus is in relationship to us and what our joy and our opportunity is in this season. Christmas is a message of the heart of God. I love Christmas. I love it so much, it just brings up so much nostalgia and memories, but there's like all sorts of mystery and anticipation and wonder in the season, like all of the Christmas lights and all of the bizarre things we do. Every single year, I ask the question, why do we put real trees in a home? Right? I don't know. We do the silliest things in Christmas, and I love that. Like, this is a season when people are really open to thinking about, hearing about the message of God. It really is. Christmas, it's a message of joy, of shalom, of peace, of wholeness. It's the moment when all the world gets to hear in some way, shape, or form the story of God, Emmanuel, God with us, who in the fullness of time sent his son to be born of a virgin in a messy situation, in a scandalous story, almost too good to be true, and it is true, all to show us the heart of God, all to bring us back to the Father, to make a way for us. And friends, this is what our hearts long for, and this is what the world longs for. We are to be people of cheer, because we have good news of great joy that will be for all the people. But Christmas easily gets hijacked. It easily gets distracted. It easily gets muddled. It easily gets overlooked. Especially because of the expectations and life experiences that we bring to the table. Specifically, when we think about the expectations that we have placed on God, or other people have placed On God. And when God doesn't fit our paradigm, when God doesn't fit our worldview, our system of belief, if He doesn't fit the expectations, He doesn't fit my experiences, the reality is is that we grow blind to the heart of God and we miss Jesus. So I want to ask you a question this morning Are you missing peace? Are you missing rest? Shalom wholeness. When you think about God, when you think about the church, when you think about Jesus, is there anxiety that comes up? Is there fear that stirs up? Like maybe you just feel like you don't measure up or maybe you've fallen short or maybe you're not good enough or whatever it is. Or maybe you've been rebellious or maybe you were once a follower of Jesus or maybe you once believed in Jesus but now things have gotten different, things have gotten more complicated, life hasn't panned out the way you hoped. Are you missing joy? Are you struggling to find joy and gladness? And you just feel like you're going after one thing, after another, after another to find that joy and it just feels fleeting. It feels like water slipping through your hands. Are you missing Jesus? Have your expectations caused your heart to grow cold, calloused, or maybe indifferent to God? Do you need Christmas cheer this morning? What I want you to hear this morning is not how our expectations and our discouragements and our hopeless feelings at times cause us to miss Jesus. What I I really want you to hear this morning, more than anything, I want you to hear and to understand that we have a God who draws near, that we have a God who speaks to our hearts in order for our eyes and our hearts to be open, in order for us to see his heart and to see his purpose and his design for your life and for this world. I want you to see how God will come even in the midst of your faulty expectations and how you try to place God into your own self-imposed agendas and how he comes in grace, in love, in truth. And this story this morning, as we see in Luke chapter 24, we get this opportunity to eavesdrop on a conversation of two disciples, of two followers of Jesus, who in a lot of ways have grown cold to Jesus, in a lot of ways have have had their expectations missed and have walked away from the heart of hope. We get this opportunity to see and to hear how they're processing their emotions and their discouragement and disappointment with God and also see how Jesus comes near to them in that moment. So let's turn to Luke chapter 24 and we're going to start in verse 13. Verse 13, the gospel of Luke says this. That very day, Now, that's important, and we're going to talk about some context there. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that have happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, and I'm going to stop right there and leave a little cliffhanger. That very day... So we just come out of some stories where we've learned about how Jesus was betrayed, how he was handed over, how Jesus spent his last evening with his disciples to love them to the full, to cause them that it's opportunity to reframe the Passover so they could remember the gospel, remember Jesus. He died on the cross, and he was buried. And when it says that very day, it's three days now that he's been buried. And we know that this day, three days later, is Resurrection Sunday. It's Easter Sunday, right? Like, they should have known this. Jesus already told them that all these things would happen. But what we see is, is a complete miss. That very day, if we look back in the context, just a few verses before, the women who were part of their followers, Mary Magdalene and some others, went to the tomb and they discovered the tomb was empty. And they had a vision from an angel, so they said. And like, why are you looking for him? He's not here. He's risen. But yet they were still kind of like in this phase of like unbelief. They didn't fully believe it. They didn't know what to expect. So they go back and Peter and John, they go running to the tomb. Peter looks in the tomb and it says that he marveled. Which is fascinating because that word marveled makes us feel like, oh, he believed that Jesus rose from the dead. But that's not the case. It was almost like this sense of like confusion and despair. And yet, full of wonder as to what could have happened. Now, these two disciples were leaving Jerusalem on that very day. I immediately start asking the question, would they have left Jerusalem if they believed Jesus rose from the dead? Would they have left? Absolutely not. So what's happening in this story? They're discussing the events. They're talking about all the things. Like, you can even imagine, like, the three years. Like, hey, we thought he was the one. He said that this would happen. We believed that he was going to be the Messiah to reestablish the kingdom and bring God's kingdom here on earth and put our place right back in the world. Maybe to reestablish the temple. Like, we thought he was the one, and he died on the cross. He let it happen. How could this be? And surely they heard the stories about the empty tomb because later on they're telling this guest all that has happened. And they're missing it. They can't seem to understand that the way God worked, the way Jesus worked and who he was, it didn't fit their expectations. He wasn't the Messiah that they were hoping for. Their experience didn't match up with the truth of what God did. They were indifferent, disappointed. And so what we see in this story, like, like let's, let's grab hold of this. What we see in this story is symbolically two people walking away from hope. They're walking away from hope. They're walking away from the resurrection. They're walking away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem where all of the hopes and all the expectations and all of God's promises were fulfilled right there on the cross in their empty tomb. And they were walking away from it because they couldn't believe that it happened. They knew that Jesus said, they knew, they heard Jesus say that on the third day I would rise again. They knew that, but somehow, some way, that didn't get into their rubric of thinking. They didn't believe it. Somehow, some way, this pain and letdown and disappointment with God on the cross caused them to maybe completely ignore it or to abandon that truth. They were walking away from it all. I mean, if Jesus did rise again, they wouldn't have left. But it wasn't just those two, it was all of the followers. When Jesus died on the cross, we know their hopes and expectations died with Jesus there. I mean imagine the emotions of that moment. Like when Jesus cried out his last and breathed his last. You gotta imagine like ice just forming over their once warm hearts. Why did we do this? We thought he was the one. How could this be? Three days. Nothing. What now? How about you? Where are you at right now? I want you to ask the question, which direction are you heading? I don't believe you stand still in life. Life is too fluid. There's too many moments. There's too many choices. And everything we do adds on to the next. I believe that you're either moving towards Jesus or you're moving away from Jesus. Where are you heading? When you look at your life, when you look at the circumstances, you look at the experiences and the expectations that you have, where's your heart? That's the best way to know the direction you're heading is to assess your heart. Let's just be honest. Christians really are not good at honesty because somehow we think that we can somehow persuade God that we're better than we are or other people. How are you doing? Great. Have you ever felt like God has let you down? You ever felt disappointed with God? Have you ever like tried Christianity and thought there was hope and life and peace and you tried to do it. You tried to be good enough. You tried to do all the right behavioral things and it just didn't seem to match up with what people said. Has God disappointed you? Have you felt like God has failed to meet your expectations? He's not who you thought he was. He's not acting the way you wished he would. He's not showing up on your timetable. He's not fitting in with your agenda. What's the condition of your heart? Is it cold? Is it callous? How do you respond when things don't go the way you hoped? When God doesn't answer prayer the way you wish he would answer prayer? Like when God doesn't seem to be present in your life, what happens to your heart? When you feel like God doesn't care, when the events around you just don't make sense? Or maybe, or maybe, when God is not convenient for you, like when his ways don't match your life plan and desires, what happens to your heart? Which direction are you, are you heading? Are you walking away from hope or are you moving towards it? Are you walking away from Jesus or are you walking towards and with Jesus? Jesus. We need to know that. We need to be honest with ourselves because this is the beauty of Christmas. This is the beauty of the gospel. And this is what I want you to grab hold of regardless of the direction that you are heading in. We have a God who always draws near. Always. It doesn't matter if you are retreating from hope, if you are walking away from God, you have a God who draws near. That's what Christmas tells us. Light came in the darkness, in the fullness of time. While we were still enemies, while we were under God's wrath, he came. While we were lost, he came. He initiated. God so loved the world that he sent his son. My favorite name of God is Emmanuel, God with us. Not when we're perfect, not when we have it all together, not when we have perfect faith and understand everything of Scripture, not when, no, when we are still walking away, when we're still rebellious, when we're still discouraged, when we're still disappointed with God. He draws near. That's what Christmas reminds us of, and that's the beauty of the heart of God. We can't miss this. And as they were walking... There's this little phrase, and I skipped this part. As they were talking with each other about all of the things and discussing, Jesus drew near and went with them. I love this. I mean, I absolutely love the way Luke describes this scene. They were talking about these things. They were conversing and discussing. It's kind of like the, the words here are a little bit too... Um, light, that, that heartbeat is just like they were like almost like debating and disputing and disagreeing over all that happened. And Jesus just shows up as they're processing their hurts, their discouragements, their letdowns, their fears, their disappointments, all of that. As they're walking away from Jesus, who shows up? He draws near. I love it. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Verse 16. That feels kind of cruel. There's something important here that we need to understand about this scenario. Jesus shows up incognito, as it were, and they were unable to recognize Jesus. Now, it's an important question to be asking here. It's like, what is that all about? Why can't they recognize Jesus? What is Luke trying to tell us? I think there's two things at play, and they work hand in hand with each other. One, I do believe that God didn't allow them to see Jesus yet, but also I believe that they weren't able to see Jesus because of their unbelief. And it was both things that were at play. And I want you to see how God enters into our faulty, our faulty expectations and our, discourage, our discouragements and disappointments with God so that, one, we can process our emotions and our hurts and our discouragements with God and then put our faith In truth, instead of our experiences, which tend to be defined and interpreted through our emotions. Jesus shows up out of grace and kindness to cultivate faith in these two disciples. This is so important. Faith comes from hearing, right? And hearing comes from the word of God. Faith doesn't come from looking at all of our experiences and trying to go, how does this make sense? How does it fit my filter? Does this meet uh, my expectations of who God is? Faith comes from God's word, from God's truth. We need him to pull that out. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is so important to Jesus. We're to live by faith, not by sight. And if we were to be honest, we prefer to live by sight. It's so much easier to try to make sense of this world by sight. But here's what will always happen. If we live by sight, we will always try to make God fit into our rubric. We will always try to make God fit into who we want him to be. In other words, we play God. He needs to fit my expectations. This isn't working out the way I want it to. And the more the dangerous part that is, we become people who pick and choose what to believe out of Scripture. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of God. And faith is a process, and He's going to be the one that's going to cultivate that faith. And I love how He does this. He takes them right where they're at. And if faith is a process, friends, I need you to hear this, okay? Faith requires honesty, it requires honesty. Faith has no room for pretense. It has no room for facade and deception. It has no room for faking it. Like, I love that reality. It's almost like an undercover boss scenario. Like, if they would have recognized Jesus in the moment, I don't think they would have, like, expressed their their disappointment or discouragement as much as they did but they were raw and they were emotional and honest and vulnerable. And as they did that, they were able then to hear themselves talking about how God didn't fit their expectations, which then created the opportunity for Jesus to speak truth into their lives. I mean, look at the Psalms. Friends, the Psalms are loaded with emotional rawness and honesty. David over and over described His discouragement with God and his disappointment with God, that's just being honest. That's moving into the light without honesty. Friends, there can be no repentance. There can be no healing or restoration. Because how many of us try so hard to be like, God, you know what? I'm good. Let me just try harder. I'll get it better next time. and all these kind of things. No, we need to be honest. And I love how Jesus comes and meets us right where we're at to enter in, to allow us to process the circumstances. But as they did that, I love how this this unfolds. Jesus asked them this question, hey guys, okay, if you don't find scripture funny, you need to wake up. Like, There's like some irony and humor in this dialogue right here. Jesus comes, and Jesus said to him, hey, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they're like, haven't you heard what has happened in the past week? Like, are you living under a rock? Like, what's going on? Like, how did you not know? And it's so ironic because it's like they think that this guy is the one who's clueless about all that has happened. What the reality is, they're the ones who are clueless. And I love how Jesus is so gentle and just initiates that conversation. And then they start to unpack what they believed what they begin to unpack is their expectations that they placed on Jesus. So important. One of them named Cleopas in verse 18 answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things and what has happened? What things? That's, that's hilarious. You know, like someone died and resurrected. Yeah. Okay, I find these things funny. And they said to him, And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in. Oh, hi. hi. <laughs> a man who is. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Christmas cheer. And he said to him, what things? And he said, concerning Jesus and Nazareth, I want you to notice how everything was in the past tense. Like, seriously, notice that. That means, like, hope is de- has been killed. This is over. They're retreating. They're walking away from hope. Concerning Jesus and Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped we had hoped he was the one and obviously he's not. Like, did you ever feel that? You ever felt that with God? We had, I had hoped that he was loving. I hoped that God heard my prayers. I hoped that maybe he would do something. But apparently not happened. We had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped he would own the Redeemer. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Women from our company, they amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, and they didn't find his body. They were given a vision, but they still didn't see him. They're just openly confessing their unbelief. Isn't it fascinating that not once did they even mention the possibility of a resurrection? Maybe he did. We don't know. We haven't seen him yet. We're hanging in there. It's complete unbelief. Or maybe they just simply selected to choose to not believe that Jesus said that the Messiah would suffer and he would raise again in three days. I mean, this this is like so important in how Jesus comes and cultivates faith. He comes right where you're at, even if you are walking away from Jesus for whatever reason it is. He comes and he draws near and he's gonna help stir up and navigate the issues in your life so that you can maybe process your unbelief and process your faulty expectations and maybe let them go so that you can hear the truth Of who God is. And all the while, we need to see his heart. I love this part where Jesus came and how Luke shows us this. Because this is one of the parts of this story that I love. Is that, like, my thought, if I didn't understand who Jesus was through the gospel, I would have assumed that God would have showed up in this situation and completely would have scolded them, showed up in like a blazing fire and be like, It's me. How dare you leave Jerusalem? I told you this was happening. How could you? I thought I picked better followers than this. Like that's how I think Jesus should have acted. But he comes incognito in gentleness, in loving kindness. Hey, what are you talking about? Man, we hoped this would happen. Oh, concerning what? he's just pulling it out. This is the part that I love about Jesus that I think we oftentimes fail to remember. There are so many people that want to believe that God is loving. There are so many people that want to believe that God is good and God is faithful. But where it stops is, is God loving towards me? Is God good towards me? Is he faithful towards me? Does he see me? Does he care about me? I'm not as good as other people. Maybe he neglects me. Maybe I failed too many times. And we fail to see that his heart is one who always draws near to you. Jesus loves, friends, he loves bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. It doesn't matter the condition of your heart. He just wants your heart. A bruised reed is a little plant that's just like broken. It's just hanging on for life. He's not a God that's just going to go, done. A smoldering whip just barely hanging on. He's not going to snuff it out. He's going to come and draw near and restore that and try to speak truth and love to that. That's the message of Christmas. Christmas. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. Friends, this is a picture of how God is near and he's so kind to us even when we retreat, even when we say, God, you're not fitting my expectations. I'm done with you. He still comes near in gentleness. But yet, even in this gentleness, he has to speak firmly. He has to speak truth because otherwise we won't be able to recognize truth. We need to recognize the error of our thinking and our futile expectations. And that's why all of a sudden he goes, Oh, foolish of heart. Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart. And you can read that and be like, Wow, what a jerk. He's not being a jerk, it's really love. Foolish ones, slow of heart. And this picture of being slow of heart is basically saying you've chosen to believe what you wanted to believe and you have carefully selected the things you didn't want to believe. Because look at what Jesus now says. Oh, foolish ones, in verse 25, slow of heart to believe, here's the word, all. Implication, they believed some, but not all. You you were slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And he goes in, he's like, was it not necessary that the Christ had to suffer for these things and enter into his glory? This was necessary. It was necessary for me to come into this darkness. It was necessary for me to go to the cross to take on the sin of the world to die to be the Lamb of God, to be slain, to have my body broken, and my bloodshed. Don't you remember those conversations? Don't you remember, guys, when I washed your feet and I loved you to the full? Don't you remember all the things that I told you that I will have to suffer and die? But don't worry, you can destroy this temple in three days. It will rebuild. Have I not told you these things? It was necessary for this. This is the new covenant. It's not the old way. It's the new way of life through grace, through what I have done for you. And he just goes through the Old Testament. Man, I wish I was in that Bible study. Like on their journey to Emmaus, he just goes from like Moses, which is the the Pentateuch, the first five letters in the Old Testament, and he walks through all of these prophecies. And i got to imagine which one. I don't know which ones he did, but I was just like, it's got to be amazing just showing how it's always talking about him and him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He had to suffer. He had to die. He had to be crucified. He had to be lifted up so that all people could look to him and put their faith in him and be healed. All of these things, he's like showing it all. I love his grace. I love his gentleness. I love that he draws near even when we're retreating. And I love that our God speaks to us. I love that he tries to cultivate our faith. And I love that he's big enough and secure enough in who he is that he allows us to be honest and raw with our emotions. That's the good news of Christmas. We need Jesus to speak words of life into us. I love it. Absolutely love it. And they're, they're like, oh my goodness. This, this, is some, this is good stuff. This boy can preach. Hey, it looks like you're about to continue on your journey and it's getting dark out. We got a place here in Emmaus and we're going we're to have supper. Um, you want to come and join us? Let's just continue this conversation. And they they invite Jesus in, urging him strongly, stay with us. And I love verse 30, how Luke again describes this. Look at the symbolic picture here. And when he was at the table with them, in fellowship with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to him. Picture of the gospel. And then their eyes were opened. And then he vanished from their sight. I want you to see, again, the gentleness of Jesus. He will never force his way into your heart. He will never force his way into your heart. Do you know why? Because Jesus didn't come to build a religion. He will draw near to you. He will knock on the door of your heart. Like it says in Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. And if you let me in, I'll come in, and I'll eat with you, and you will eat with me. He will never force his way into your heart, but he will always draw near. And now it's up to you. What will you do when he draws near? What will you do when he speaks to you? What will you do when all of a sudden he's causing you to process your life and process your circumstances and process your hurt and disappointment? What will you do? These two guys give us an example that we need to follow. Invite him in. Invite him in. Because he came for a relationship. He came to cause us to enter into fellowship with him. And when he comes in, we begin to see and understand the gospel. That's the picture. The only way for us to understand Jesus and to see Jesus is through the lens of the gospel. He had to have his body broken. He had to have his blood shed. He did for us what we could not do. The penalty of our sin was death. We were objects of wrath because of our sin. We were rebels because of our sin. We all traded the truth of God for a lie because of our sin. We all wanted to be our own, but yet our hearts longed for hope, longed for joy, longed for peace. We were enslaved to these ways, and there was nothing we could do. We could never, ever be good enough. And so Jesus came in the fullness of time, born of a virgin, good news of great joy, to show us the life to die in the cross, to resurrect again so that we can live in this newness of life. When we see the gospel is the only time we will be able to see and understand the beauty of Christmas. Man, for years, for years, I grew up in a religious home, Lutheran kid, nothing wrong with Lutheranism. But I was told over and over and over that my status with God was based upon A, being baptized as a baby, B, being confirmed, and C, having communion, and then living a really, really good life. That didn't go so well. I wasn't a good kid. I could never be good enough. I was never able to be good enough. I kept thinking that I was always going to fall short. And so then there was moments where I was like, okay, God, I'm going to try to live for you. I'm going to try to be good. I'm going to try to read my Bible. I'm going to try to do these things. And then I would place these expectations of God. God, you're going to do this in my life. You're going to change this in my life. And if you don't, therefore, now you're not true because you're not fitting what I think you should do. And it wasn't until August 2000 and it was beautiful because when we were up in Winona just a few weeks ago, I got to go visit this cafe called the Kusa Cafe and I got a picture of the bench and I remember sitting at that bench and I remember the college pastor at the time sitting there talking to me, asking me if I understood grace, if I understood the message of Jesus Christ and all I could say was, yeah you go to church, you get baptized you have, you know, communion you get confirmed and you be good It didn't work out. I don't believe there's a thing of joy. I just believe God is all about uh, uh, deceiving us and tempting us with joy. He's like, man, you need to know Jesus. And I remember sitting in that bench, so discouraged, so depressed, tears, anguish, wanting to end it. And he starts talking to me how God is drawn near to me how God loves me, how God did this for me, regardless of how bad I was, regardless of these things. And it wasn't until I understood the gospel, almost as if like Jesus had to come at that table and break bread in front of me. It wasn't until that moment when I prayed and confessed my sin and received the gift of eternal life through the cross and the resurrection that my eyes were finally opened and I saw Jesus. Friends, you'll never understand Christmas and you'll never understand the gospel. You'll never understand the purpose of the church if you don't understand the gospel in Jesus and what he's done for you. So important. It's so vital. These folks, when their eyes were open, Jesus disappeared and the text tells us that very hour, that very hour They got up in the evening and took another seven-mile journey back to Jerusalem, which you don't do back then, and they spread the good news of Jesus. He's alive. We saw him. He just held a great Bible study to it for us. It's amazing what they saw and the angel said is true. And they're just out telling everybody that Jesus is alive. And even in the last verse, it says that, like, in uh, the last verse, they told what happened on the road and he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Friends, what we're going to do now as a church is we're going to celebrate communion. And this is an awesome time for us to be reminded of Jesus, to be reminded of the good news of great joy that would be for all the people. Like a lot of times when we celebrate communion, we fail to remember the word celebrate Right? Like we get to that spot when it's important for us to feel the weight of our sin. And we just see it as like such a dark and heavy thing, which it was. But we also fail Jesus when we, like we ignore the part of celebration where it says it was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. And so as we come together and as we celebrate communion and we break bread together and we partake by even just like taking in the, the elements. We are rehearsing and celebrating the gospel and all that Jesus has done for us. So I want to encourage you. Right now, if you have the community elements, I encourage you to start to get it ready. If you don't, feel free. We got a whole bunch in the back there. But as we do, I, I want to encourage us to prepare our hearts a bit. Because as appropriate as it is for us to celebrate and to be thankful and to rejoice in the gospel, I think it's also very important for us to examine our hearts according to scriptures. I want to encourage you right now. I want you to be honest with God with where you're at in life. I want you to be honest with God in the direction that you're heading I want you to be honest with God. Maybe you've never told him that you were disappointed with him or discouraged with him or you feel like God has failed you or abandoned you. And I know that sometimes, especially in church, I can feel a little sacrilegious, like, oh, we can't do that to God because we know it's not true. He knows our hearts. We need to be honest to enter into that light. So just share that with him because he wants to cultivate and stir up faith. He wants to renew our minds and renew our hearts, and we have to be able to express those things for him to be able to speak truth into those things. And as you do that, just ask the Lord, are there expectations that you have of God that you need to let go? Are there things that you have placed on him that aren't true of him? take a moment and just pray and insert your heart. Regardless if you believe it or not, right now, Jesus is drawing near to you. Regardless if you are walking away from hope or not, He's drawing near to you. And He's speaking to you. These folks knew it. These two folks knew it because of what was burning in their hearts. It was undisputable that God was moving. What I want you to do is just to pray and to say in your own heart to him, I invite you in, Jesus. And maybe for some of you, this is the first time where you've received the message of Jesus Christ through the gospel, where you received the forgiveness of sin, where you realize that your whole life is now gone and you're a new creation in Jesus. Maybe that's what this is, the first time you're inviting him in promises he will enter and he will have fellowship with you. He will move into a relationship with you. But even if you've been a follower of Jesus because relationships always take work and always take intimacy and always take intentional effort Jesus wants more of your heart. He wants more of you. Invite him in. Invite him into those areas of your heart that maybe you haven't let go or given to him. Allow him to heal some of that discouragement and disappointment. Just invite him in. Because this is good news of great joy. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. And after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take together. Now before we seal this time in song, I wanna encourage you and challenge you with something. I do believe it is borderline hypocritical for us to celebrate the Lord's communion and then to not spread the cheer. I think it's hypocritical for us to come to remember the broken body and shed blood and to go, oh, that was just for me, great. But we need to be like these two disciples, that when our eyes are open and we see Jesus, that we go out and we tell people about the good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Father, I thank you for this time together, and I ask God that regardless of where we are at spiritually, which direction we are in, heading towards the Lord, I pray that, one, we would remember and see that you are a God who draws near. You are a God that speaks. You are a god that is gentle and loving and good you speak truth in the areas where we need to hear truth and you speak grace in the areas where our hearts so desperately need to hear grace thank you for the love thank you for the joy lord i ask god that we would be a church that becomes more and more captivated by your son jesus and out of that love we would be compelled to want to spread this cheer, this good news of great joy. So, God, would you use us this Christmas season for your glory? In Christ's name, amen.